All right, it's finally here. Let's talk about eschatology. Lesson one, and uh, I'm excited about uh, eschatology, uh, this course on eschatology, and this is lesson one, which is going to be introducing what we're calling the epic saga. Um, first off, I probably, I wanted to cover just, you know, what do we mean by eschatology in case you're not familiar with that term? Um, the term eschatology is actually, it's almost, it's almost like a direct translation, even in sounding like the original Greek uh, word. Uh, there are certain words like that. Like when you read the word amen in scripture, um, it's a translation from the Greek word pronounced amen. And so eschatology is the same thing. It's not a biblical term. It's not found in scripture, um, but it, it it's, they have a Greek word that, you know, that describes um, that comes together to form that term. So um, it's actually two words put together. It's the word eschatos, which means last, and logos, which means word. So it's literally a, a word about the last or last things. And it came to be known as the study of last things. So eschatology. The problem with eschatology, and it's the main issue that I have with pretty much Every time the subject comes up, eschatology, end times, last days, um, every time the subject comes up, it seems to focus on just the last days. It's, it's literally like going to a movie theater and watching the last, you know, 20 minutes of the movie. Um, you, you, you can't study, you can't study the text that way. Um, and so what we're going to do over the period, I'm hoping we can get this done in 11 lessons, 11 videos, 11 sessions. Um, it's kind of what I mapped out. We may have to add one or two, but I think we can do it in 11, but it is, it is enormous. And so when I was talking about it with some friends of mine, you know, a year ago when I was considering doing this, um, I, I said, it's like an, it's like an epic saga. Like there's, I don't want to just kind of like when you do, you know, study about end times, uh, I don't want to just like kind of give a quick statement about the backstory. You need to know about the entire deal because it's all in the word. And it literally, get this, eschatology covers Genesis chapter one through Revelation chapter 22. And, and so I, it, it's hilarious. I was talking with some, some teenagers about this at camp. It was last summer. And they're like, if we wanted to study eschatology, where would we start? I was like, the Bible. And they're like, yeah, what parts? I was like, all of it. And they're like, come on. I was like, no, I'm serious. Start in Genesis and read through to Revelation. Put, put everything in chronology, you know, the kings, the storyline, you know, from, you know, the beginnings with, with Adam and Eve, all the way up through Babel, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, Joseph into Egypt, Moses, law, promised land, 
division of, you know, the, the coming of the Kings, you know, the last, the, all the judges, the last judge Samuel, and then the coming of the Kings and the dividing of, you know, Israel and Judah and, or Israel, the top Judah at the bottom. And then, you know, the, the, the poor stewardship of the land, the exiles that came, um, you know, the Babylonian captivity, all the prophets leading up to that second temporal period. And afterwards, Ezra and Nehemiah, all the way up through the intertestamental period coming into the new Testament. And I mean, it is, Dude, it is an epic saga. And, and, and I probably should just say this from the beginning. I typically don't, I've never really preached on it. In fact, I just never have preached on it. Um, typically the conversations I get into when I, when I'm talking with people about eschatology, they just don't go very far because honestly, I'm giving you my opinion. That's what this will be. It's my opinion, but it's an educated opinion that is built upon 27, 28 years, you know, of study. And, and I'm not talking about casual study. I'm talking about obsessive study. Like this really, really matters to me. And, and so when I'm talking with people and, you know, they're like, you know, well, I think this, I, I automatically say, oh, what have you studied? What, what, what courses have you taken? What books have you read? Well, you know, I've been watching some YouTube videos. I just walk away, <laughs> not in a necessarily a, a rude way, but come on, you're going to have to do better. Seriously, you're gonna have to do better than that. And so, you know, I, I, I decided to do this. I want to kind of give an overview. I'm, I'm not an answer man. I'm probably not going to answer, uh, you know, most questions that will be, you know, asked of me, but I'm going to point you in the right direction. And I think this is something that you need to study for yourself. Um, cause that's, that's how it happened to me. And so I, I wanted to, in my notes here, I wanted to give you just a really quick kind of introduction of how, this all came to pass. I got saved, um, had some church background, but, uh, you know, some religious background and some church area background and did pop into church from time to time. But, um, I, um, was first exposed to, you know, in times, um, on a serious level in 1996 in college. Now I was exposed to it before and I was at the age you know, we went to this youth group thing uh, out in Selma, Indiana, at a friend of ours' house. Is actually, uh, if I can remember his name, Max something other. Um, anybody who knows me from that time, you're gonna be like, "Oh, is this guy?" But um, he, uh, they watched. We watched this. Uh, what was it? It was that End Times movie. I forget what it's called, but it was this End Times movie thing we watched, and you know, Satan came back, or you know, excuse me, Jesus came back. Not Satan. Jesus came back, and you know. The Antichrist is, you know, he takes all the Christians out and the Antichrist is left. He's torturing everybody. And, oh, it's terrible. And we was all scared to death. You know, everybody gets saved that night kind of thing. Um, so I was exposed to kind of like the end times, had a lot of information about, you know, kind of vague information about that. But my first real exposure to eschatology, um, I, I got saved in 95, went to Olivet, January 96. And studying for the ministry, and I'm I'm doing some electives. I wanted to fill up, you know, electives with all extra Bible classes because I just didn't know the word. I didn't know the Bible, and so uh, they had this class on Johannian literature. And part of the class, which is all Johannian literature, is all the all the um, all the uh, books that John wrote. Okay, the Gospel of John, First, Second, Third John, Revelation, and so I um, a, a part of that class was going to be on revelation, which was eschatology. And I was like, Ooh, you know, I'm just going to go in and clear all that up and learn about it and get that under my belt, which I was, you know, sadly awakened that there's so many different opinions on eschatology. And, 
And uh, the professor, obviously, it was a huge course. There's no way he could have covered everything. Did a very good job with Revelation. But really, all it did was pique my interest. And so we studied. In fact, I studied the New International. Uh, I don't think it was the New International Greek Testament commentary. Anyway, I, I read one of the commentaries on Revelation, bought a couple more. And so from 1996, on a serious level, I began to study about eschatology. And the reason I began to study it, it, it was... It was one, it was very important to me, but I ran into, in my theology classes, we studied the early church creeds, which were the statements of faith. Um, like, you know, what does the church believe? Uh, in fact, there's three of those. I actually put this at the end of my notes, but I'll give it to you now. The earliest statement of faith that we have is in the, somewhere in the early to middle uh, second century. So probably right after the last apostle John uh, died. And uh, it's called the Apostles' Creed. And um, it mentions the um, second coming. It mentions, you know, the, the second coming of Christ and, the, and, and some vague things about the end times. So let me tell you this real quickly. So there, there are three creeds. I was in my theology class. I'm studying end times and, you know, kind of on the side. And then I realized in my theology class that it was the second coming of Jesus is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Like there's more prophecy given about his second coming um, than even his first coming. And that the blessed hope of our salvation, for instance, and we find this in, um, uh, what is it? First John yeah, chapter three, verses one through three. The hope of our salvation was not in his first coming. That was great. Okay. It's really important. But the hope of our salvation, and we'll get to this later on down in probably lessons four or five three or four, but the hope of our salvation is in the second coming. Listen to how John says this in first John chapter three, verses one through three. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made fully known. But we know that when he appears, second coming, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus is pure. So when we talk about the hope of our salvation, it's not just I believe in Jesus and I'm good. It, it, that's all great. But the hope of our salvation is his second coming. And when we're in theology class, of course, they impact all of that over, you know, three years. But the early church creeds, which is kind of the definitive, this is what we believe as a Christian faith, which started, you know, with the apostles creed, just as I said, you know, at the beginning to the middle of the second century, they had a statement in there regarding his second coming. Like that was a part of, of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is like, you know, this is what it means to be a Christian definitively. It's not up for grabs. Okay. So it's not like, well, I go to this church and we believe this. I go to that church and we believe that. No, 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 no. Early church creeds. This is what, this is what we believe. This is kind of the definitive kind of universal, what it means to be a Christian. And, uh, it, and it's significant because of all the things we could talk about regarding eschatology, timing is not involved. Like when Jesus is coming back, there's all kinds of things that's left that they left out. Like who's the antichrist? What does Daniel have to say about it? You know, what did Jesus really mean in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13? And, and what was, you know, what was Paul getting at in Roman, you know, and all these kinds of, you know, statements, they don't get into all that. Who's the beast, the millennium. What's definitive is that he's coming back 
and that it's it's you have to believe that he's coming back for us. It's it's not the end where we're at now. In fact, just really quickly, the Apostles' Creed reads like this: He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. The Nicene Creed, this one was like uh, between, well, it was like first drafted in like 325 AD, I believe. And, but it was finally accepted after they kind of like took forever to like them kind of mull over it and say, yep, this is good. It was like in the early 380s, I think 381. But it says this regarding Jesus' second coming. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. Now, the most thorough is what they call the Athanasian Creed. This is a more advanced and it's like in the between the fifth and sixth century. It, it like first appeared in like 633, I think. Should have that down in my notes, but like it first was referenced and it was like a, a matured, you know, um, nothing has changed from the Apostles' Creed. It's a little bit more explained, but, you know, this is what we believe. So the Athanasian Creed regarding um, Jesus' second coming, the end days kind of thing reads like this. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, at whose coming all men shall rise again with their bodies and shall give account of their own works, and that they have done good, and that and they that have done good shall go into life everlasting, and they that have done evil into everlasting fire. This is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. So it's like, you know. It's a big now. There's a whole longer deal, obviously, in those creeds on what we believe. You know, we believe in one God, Jesus, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all that kind of stuff. But when you come down, they add in add in um, eschatology. So, what I'm trying to tell you is, I began in 1996 and 1997, but began in 96, but it developed over my college years the significance of the end times and how much there's written about it, how much the Bible has to say. L literally, hear me on this. Regarding his second coming, it's literally, there's more on that topic almost than any other topic in scripture, which is crazy because we don't tend to have any agreement on it. So I was like, that's it. I'm studying it. And so I, I've taken, I took a course on it in college. I think I took two courses on it. It wasn't called eschatology, but it was, I took the, that's what it was. I took the minor, major minor prophets in the old Testament would deal, which deal with a lot of this, you know, everything from Zechariah, Malachi, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, especially uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were tucked in there. And so, you know, took classes on this. And then when I got out, I took a class from Asbury on eschatology, one from Craig Keener, Another from a fantastic uh, Episcopal lady, um, Evers Bible class. She's really thorough. I've taken that class, that course four times. And it's long with Daniel and Revelation. It's like 37 week. It's a 37 week course. It's free online, which you can go take it. I, I, I give her a donation whenever I take it. Uh, just a little something because uh, she offers it for free. I don't agree with everything, uh, especially in Revelation. But like her Daniel, historical stuff for Daniel is just ridiculous. This girl is wonderful. And so, um, and again, it's not, it's not just, you know, you're always kind of chewing up the watermelon and spitting out the seeds of what, you know, I'm not sure about that, but it's, it's, 
it's good to know what what's being said and it's it's good to be able to kind of you know take things and say i know this about the scriptures and this really doesn't fit so anyway uh then i've read everything that tim lahay has you know the left behind series obviously but i read his academic works and all of his school his entire in time school i read several of his professors that are in his school that teach um you know i read what bethel has to you know teach on it and i'm not really on the same page with their eschatology um i read you know, most of uh, Mike Bickle's stuff at IHOP and taken uh, uh, most of his course. And then countless, countless hours of YouTube videos. I drive, you know, so I just throw on a YouTube video and listen to it and maybe glance, you know, but it's more about listening to it. So, I mean, I, I can honestly say I've listened to thousands and thousands and thousands of academic you know, books and research on the topic and as well as my own, my own studies. So can't cover all that in, you know, any decent amount of time, but I'd like to give you kind of an overview, but I will say definitively that if you're going to study it, it it's got to be beyond the, I just want to, you know, some answers to some quick questions, you know, that, that, it, that's, uh, educational irresponsibility is what it is. And so, um, seek, I mean, read, you, you got the book, start by just reading and timelines and, and, you know, put everything in order and begin to listen and ask the Holy spirit to reveal to you. I'm, I'm not some crazy, you know, complex academic. I just, I'm hungry and I read. And so I want to walk you through just a little bit of, uh, of this deal. So having said that, um, you know, the study of eschatology begins, uh, obviously, in Genesis chapter 1. So let's just begin there. And um, how do I want to begin this? Um, creation, and this is kind of splattered. As you study, you'll find that it's kind of splattered throughout the Bible. That, you know, obviously, in the, in the beginning of Genesis is not the beginning of all things. Okay. There's all, when you get into Genesis, there's all kinds of things that are going on in that beginning story that were around before the beginning. Okay. God was around before the beginning. Okay. That he writes in the beginning. Uh, angels were around. We did I mean, there's no record of any of the spiritual beings or whatever's up there, heavens. There's no, you know, the spiritual elements, the unseen stuff. There's no edge, you know, there's no, um, evidence of that recording. So, and we have a cherub, we have cherubs in there. We have Lucifer um, that is present in chapter three of the Genesis story. And he's not good Lucifer, he's bad Lucifer. So he's around. So there's all kinds of things going on before the beginning. So you'd say, well, then why do we call it the beginning? Because it's the beginning of all things physical. So one day God gets up and says, Hey, I'm doing a new thing. We're going to create the physical and the angelic realm's like, yes, the physical, you know? And they're like, what's that? And they're like, we have no idea because it was a new thing. And so God creates the physical world. You have a record of that, obviously, um, from, you know, verse one of Genesis, um, uh, you know, you have the first day, verse five, second day, verse eight, you know, you can just go down and read this. So all the stuff that's taking place, but on the sixth day, God does something that is extraordinary. And we're going to have, I'm going to do a course in the fall on spiritual warfare, which is going to go in depth in detail on the angelic realm and the physical realm and how they were created actually to live together. When you go into Revelation chapter 22, which we'll cover in this course eventually, 
and specifically also during the millennium in Zechariah, the last chapter, I think it's 14. And then um, in Revelation 21, um, when, you know, we're not staying to heaven. Okay. Jesus is coming back and we all live here on a new heaven and a new earth that comes together and angels and mankind, just like it was in the garden. So we're going to cover all that this next fall and in, in the uh, spiritual warfare um, stuff that I'm going to be teaching on. But um, my point is, is that God does this, this brand new thing and he creates the physical and then he creates humanity and humanity um, was created in the midst of an angelic kind of kingdom, an angelic existence, population, community, whatever you want to talk about it, uh, that already existed. And um, mankind is completely different. There's there's reference in the Old Testament to angels re- referred to as, you know, sons, um, the sons of God's mentioned several times. Michael Heiser has written several books on it. But, uh, you know, it's their sonship is not like our sonship. Our sonship comes from Jesus. Um, and we're seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so, you know, angels, that's not where their sonship is derived. It's a different kind of family of God for them than it is us. And he says that in verse 26, we were created in the image and likeness of God. And the likeness literally means sameness. And, you know, we are the inheritors. Like he literally created us with his DNA inside of us. That is the pinnacle of creation. Like there's not been anything like humanity. Um, Paul will explain, and we'll get to this in this course, but Paul will explain that Jesus is the example. He calls him the last Adam. So if you want to know what the first Adam looked like before he fell into sin, looks like Jesus. Jesus is what God desired humanity to look like in his full maturity. Because there was a maturity process even with Adam. Um, so there was this, you know, there's this dream of God for humanity and Jesus is what it looked like. And so God created mankind. That's where it began. Now there, there's the whole deal with women in there. And I don't know if I'm going to get into this. Um, I just released, by the time you see this, there's going to be a three part series on, um, marriage, gender, and sexuality. And, uh, hopefully Lynn, you could put a link uh, at the bottom of this uh, video, maybe it'll come up on the screen, but you can go watch that. And we talk about that. There's regarding sexuality, like um, ang- angelic, the angelic have sexuality as well. Uh, we know that in, in the Genesis account, um, you know, angels come down, demonic angels come down and they reproduce with women, which is where the giants came from. So they had the ability to procreate. They had sex drive. And in Zechariah, there's a reference to a woman angel. So they at least have the ability to procreate. There's this idea that, you know, and angels have no genitalia and that they're, you know, they're non-sexual. This is not biblical. Okay. So, but with regards to mankind and our sexuality, there is, there is another level Everything with humanity, there's another level. Like there's another level of image of God in that. Angels are not created in the image of God. We were. That's really huge. And so with regards, why I'm mentioning this is in the beginning in chapter two, like of all the things that could be talked about, doesn't talk about the church, doesn't talk about the giftings of the spirit, doesn't talk about any of that. But in chapter two of Genesis, from the very beginning, our sexuality was established in, you know, in, in Mark, uh, I think it's chapter 13, Jesus actually in, in, when dealing with divorce, he's like, listen, um, you know, regarding everything, marriage, 
sexually, relationally between a man and a woman, what my dad established, that's going to be the pattern of our kingdom. So in eschatology, in the last days, the crumbling of mankind manifests strongly in our sexuality, which is why homosexuality is a sign of the end times. Not just it happening, because it happened in the Roman days, it's happened throughout history, it's happened all over the place, but the world consensus and embracing of it is a sign of, of the end, biblically. So we're, we're going to look at that, uh, because from the beginning in chapter two, God creates Adam out of the dust of the earth. He does not create woman out of the dust of the earth. He creates woman out of man and they were to come back together to be one. That's impossible with same sex between two men or between two women. So it doesn't work. So that's not how God designed it. And when you begin to come back together in a sexual union and intimacy, it, it is a perversion. It's the wrong version of sexuality. It's a twisting. And that is a, that is a, that is going to become all the way throughout the Old Testament. Obviously, that is, you know, judged. And in, in, in course, in the end times, that'll become a major factor. And we'll talk about that later down the road. But chapter one is the creation event, the image of God, the significance of who we are in the likeness of God. We're different than the angels. Um, you come into chapter two, the whole sexuality thing is discussed and put in place and implemented the roles of men and women and their equality, uh, which is really big. Then you come down into chapter three. And of course, in my NIV, right above chapter three, you have the fall of mankind. And the fall of mankind is where basically, you know, Satan, who is over the angelic stuff, uh, but still underneath mankind, um, and then you have, you know, of course, mankind, Adam and Eve, they kind of derail God's whole design for humanity. And they, they sin, they, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now there's a whole, obviously we can't go through all of that, but that's what, where this thing derails. And we, we mentioned that because all of the, all of the end times eschatology, like it, it, it starts here at this event. The very first prophecy is given at the sin of mankind where God says, I'm not giving up on mankind. I'm not giving up on my plan. I've got an agenda. I've got a dream and I'm going to redeem. And so we have, of course, the whole record. You can go read it of the sin uh, of, of, of Adam and Eve. And really it's Adam. Eve was deceived. Adam sinned. Then you come down to verse 14 and you have a first of three judgments that are given. God looks to the serpent and which is Lucifer. And he's like, dude, and the big deal is it uh, begins in verse 14, but the big deal is in verse 15 where he says, um, Hey, I'm going to send your seed and Eve seed. So the, the offspring of Eve is going to be at war with your offspring, with your agenda, with your demonic seed, which is going to, ultimately culminate in an antichrist figure. But as Paul says, many antichrists have gone into the world. So anybody who rejects God's design for humanity is an antichrist in an antichrist category. Okay. But we'll get to that. But see, there's an opposition between mankind and the angelic, which is why we have to talk about spiritual warfare. Jesus is the coming Messiah. He's prophesied here that what's going to, you know, the seed, the offspring coming out of, out of Eve is going to be at war with yours. This is how it's worded in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then he said, he, referring to Jesus, will crush your head and you're going to strike his heel. So your days are numbered. 
Okay, I'm going to settle this. I'm not giving up on this. We're not derailing. We're not getting rid of all this. And then, of course, there's punishments for women, uh, the natural consequences of sin for women and the natural consequences of sin for Adam. And then you begin. So it's but it's really important and make sure I didn't forget anything here. Um, yeah. So that's the first lesson. So just wrapping up here and I'm not even sure how long this was, but um, I want to keep these as short as I can. But when we're looking at eschatology, the study of eschatology begins in Genesis chapter one with the derailing of mankind, the pronouncement of God that I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to send a the seed. I'm going to send, uh, you know, the Messiah. That's all messianic language. I'm going to send the Messiah, Jesus, and he's going to come. He's going to crush your head, Satan, and he is going to be king of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm going to reconcile all mankind back to myself through him. That's what's really going on. On here. And so it begins here. Now, next lesson, uh, we'll pick it up from here. And we can't go through every single verse, every single chapter of the whole entire Bible. So we're going to pick some highlighting points that are really crucial, crucial that you're going to need to know um, when kind of formulating an understanding of the end times. So um, I hope you enjoy this. I'd love for you to share it uh, on your social media, um, uh, you know, in the link, um, share the vi YouTube video um, and uh, study along with us. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be fun. Thank you.